The following message was given at Grace Community Church in Minden, Nevada. We're going to read verses 12 through 14. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Well, I'm a, a, you might not know this, but I'm a sentimental person. (laughs) Thank you, Julie. Um, I'm a, uh, I'm a nostalgic person. I like um, milestones and anniversaries and thinking back and, and um, as we get ready to uh, celebrate 25 years, to me, that's a big deal. It's a quarter of a century. And, um, you know, I don't really know um, how many church planting pastors stay for 25 years, but I'm, I'm glad to be uh, in that group. And as I think about 25 years, I think, well, you know, the Lord has done really such wonderful things here. And you look back and you think about all of the things that, that God has done, and it is, uh, it's a joy. And one of the things that, that stands out to me is just the, the importance of just loving the body of Christ, I mean, there's a lot of, there are a lot of Christians that don't love the body of Christ. And they talk about loving Christ, but they don't love his body, which, by the way, is a contradiction. You understand, it's like coming up to me and telling me, I like you, but I don't like your wife. Okay? I mean, really, how dare us? say to the head of the church, we like the head of the church, we're just not crazy about his bride. Right? So in 25 years, you, you love the body of Christ. And it's not perfect, but you love it. And there's something about it that you, that you cherish. And when you see things that... Um, undermine the value of Christ's church or attack and assail the the unity of the body, it breaks your heart. Those are things that are, um, that I think Satan takes great delight in, and I think they grieve the heart of our Savior. And so our theme for our 25th anniversary is going to be loving the family of Christ. And, um, by the way, I'll just go ahead and, and tell you that one of the reasons why we have the two speakers that we have is not only because they're, they're near and dear to us, Bruce Ware and Joel Beakey, but because you couldn't get two people more different. Okay? So Bruce is a premillennial Baptist, um, and uh, Joel Beakey is a pedo-baptist and amillennial. And, I mean, these guys, are, these guys are way different 
but to me, there's, there's a, a strategy in having both of them as we celebrate the idea of loving the family of Christ, and that is showing uh, both the unity and the diversity within the body of Christ, right? And so when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I can't help but to think how, how wonderful is the timing of us to be in this chapter, in this place. Because what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 12 is that he is, he's trying to help the Corinthians see the importance and the beauty of diversity and unity. The, the Corinthians were, were really undermining the idea of unity by accentuating diversity, but doing it in a way in which they were proud and they were arrogant because of certain gifts that were, that were more visible than others. And, and it was their pride that was really, it was a frontal assault on the unity of the body of Christ, And so Paul wants them to desperately see that there is is an underlying unity in the body. And it is that underlying, underlying unity that gives the diversity of gifts its beauty and its power. And so uh, what I what I decided I would do is um, I put a few slides together on how I would highlight in my Bible these sections, all right? So uh, go ahead and put the first one up, Raj. So what we've done is um, we already covered this, but what you can see, and, and, and what I want you to see is, is that what Paul is after in this passage is not um, an exposition of spiritual gifts. If you go to 1 Corinthians 12 thinking that what you have here is, is a treatise on spiritual gifts, you're missing Paul's point. And so I color-coded Paul's point. Notice, varieties, 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 right? That's diversity. Okay. By the way, varieties, I mentioned uh, five or six weeks ago now, distributions, okay? Gifts, ministries, effects, okay? It's diversity. But notice, same spirit, same Lord, same God. Unity. So God's people have different gifts, different ministries, different functions, but it's the same Lord, it's the same spirit, it's the same God who's working in all and who is bringing about the results, Right? So unity undergirds the diversity. All right? So next, we see the um, unity and diversity, or we could even say the unity, diversity, and the corporate and individual nature. So, but to each one, notice, to each one, to one, to another, to another, to another is given, right? manifestation of the Spirit, through the Spirit, according to the same Spirit, by the same Spirit, by the one Spirit. You, you, you see 
This is how you read your Bible. You pay attention to the repetition. You pay attention to patterns. And, and so what is Paul getting at? Well, Paul is, is, is not, Paul's not saying, word of wisdom. Notice I didn't define that. Why don't you guys think about that for the next six months and figure out what a word of wisdom is? This is going to be a little bit of an exaggeration, but not much. What a word of wisdom or word of knowledge is, is almost irrelevant to the point of the text. Notice, each person, there's this wonderful sense, I think the word we used was democratization of the spirit in the body. Everybody gets the spirit. Everybody gets a gift, right? But notice, it's the same spirit. It's the one spirit, right? So again, diversity undergirded by profound unity. Next slide, to another, the effect in the miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing the spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. So you understand, by the way, that, that Paul's argument up to this point is basically really simple. If all this is true, why would you brag about a gift? If all of that's true, and that last line is true, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills, the gift you have then is dependent on the sovereign spirit, not because you signed up for tongues. Okay? So you see, you see what the point is. And the point is the fact that the, it is the same spirit that's working in each one of God's people, and he's working in the way that he sees fit. By gifting, by giving ministries to, by working certain effects, it's the same spirit working in everybody. The same spirit that works through the one preaching the word is the same spirit working through the one who cleans tables. That's that's Paul's point. So enough of the elitism based on the gift that you think you have. Again, a little bit of an overstatement, but whatever gift you think you have is irrelevant compared to the acknowledgement of the unity of the body and the way that we're supposed to function together. Okay? Right? All right, so that brings us up to verse 12. Okay? Now, what Paul's going to do is Paul's going to give us a, per- a perspective on the body, right? The body. Some of you uh, remember uh, Ray Stedman, right? Peninsula Bible Church. You guys remember Ray Stedman? Okay, yeah, all, all the old people. Yeah, I remember, <laughs> I remember Ray Stedman. Um, Ray Stedman wrote lots of books, but it's probably the most famous book that he wrote 
It's called body life. Okay. Body life. And um, in some ways, an important, uh, an important book. And it was a perspective on the church. Right? So here's Paul, and he starts talking about the body. Now, heretofore, he has not mentioned the body. Now he starts talking about the body. And, of course, what's he talking about? He's talking about the church. So he describes the church as a body. Now, not any ordinary body, by the way. So there's a question that comes up. So you get to verse 12, for even as the body is one. So you have all of that. You have those first 11 verses where Paul is hammering away at unity, 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 one spirit, same spirit. There's one body. Big question. Where does Paul get this, this idea of the body? Okay. It's a, actually, it's, it's a good question. Um, there are different ideas as to what Paul is actually, why he ta- calls the church the body. Okay. Um, here's, here's my here's my stab at it. So Paul uses this. So I'm going I'm to call it a metaphor at first. Okay. Paul uses this metaphor of the body, probably at least in part because of what happened to him on the road to Damascus. So Jesus appears to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus was not on earth anymore. Saul wasn't persecuting Jesus like the scribes and the Pharisees persecuted Jesus or the Sanhedrin. How did, how did Saul of Tarsus persecute Jesus? Well, by persecuting his people. To persecute his people Jesus says to Saul, is to persecute me. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So there's a, there's a, uh, there's a, uh, a solidarity between Jesus and his people, right? To persecute his people is to persecute him, right? By the way, to give a cup of cold water to one of the least of these in Christ's name is to do it to him, right? So, so Paul becomes um, uh, really very powerfully aware, profoundly aware of, the, of the, the solidarity that there is between Christ and his people. Okay? Now, that idea of, of solidarity, Paul understands also that Christ is the head of his people. Okay. Now, most people that make physiological observations 
observe that if you have a head, you have a body. The body metaphor ends up then serving the purpose of both unity and diversity, which is what Paul is focused on. Because what Paul's going to do is Paul's going to move into um, the idea of hands and eyes and feet and how the eye can't wish it was an ear and so forth. And so there's going to be, in a sense, there's sort of a natural um, manifestation of diversity. The whole body's not a hand, but it's just one body. So head-body metaphor works. Diversity and unity in the body metaphor works. But for Paul, Paul also would have been very much familiar with first century usage of the body metaphor, typically in political rhetoric. So for instance, the idea of the body would be a common cultural term for social harmony. So one New Testament scholar says this figure of the body was ordinarily used to urge members of the subordinate classes to stay in their places in the social order and not to upset the natural equilibrium of the body by rebelling against their superiors. In other words, know your place in the body. Paul uses the body image in a somewhat more complicated way to argue for the need of diversity in the body and at the same time interdependence among the members in the body. Thus, he employs the analogy not to keep subordinates in their places, but to urge more privileged members of the community to respect and value the contributions of those members who appear to be their inferiors, both in social status and spiritual potency. So in other words, the idea would have been common in Paul's day, but Paul takes the idea and then in a sense turns it on its head. So if you hear uh, if you hear body rhetoric in 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 political talk, it's basically know your place and don't try to rebel against your superiors. Paul takes that, turns it on, turns it on its head, and basically says um, you need to look out for the um, less esteemed members of the body because in reality they're the most important. Right? So he turns it on its head. But I'm going to suggest also that the body is, is more than just a metaphor. In other words, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not convinced that just to say that the body is a metaphor then explains why Paul uses the language as if he's just coming up with an illustration. I think that there's actually a reality behind the idea of the body of Christ. And that reality is the spiritual union and communion that we have with Christ the head and with one another. I'm not overly uh, uh, fond of the language, but sometimes you'll get New Testament scholars that will talk about uh, the idea of the mystical body. Well, all they mean by mystical body is... is, um, 
a real entity that is created by the Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual body that's, that's formed and forged by spiritual reality. So in other words, the idea is not just simply, well, here's, here's a cool uh, anatomical illustration for the church. I think that the idea is, is that here's the reality. We belong to each other just as sure as the hand belongs to the arm and the arm to the shoulder. And it's all connected to the head. In other words, it is, it is real, genuine, spiritual, organic connectedness. See, this is, this is, this is what uh, so much of contemporary evangelicalism just flat out misses when it comes to church. Because, okay, so I saw uh, on the second or third day I was really sick, I watched um, this really wonderful, uh, I guess you call it a documentary, called American Gospel. If you've not seen it, you should watch it. American Gospel. You have an American Gospel that has shaped an American church. And as a result, eclipses the biblical gospel and the biblical church. So in in America, church is, is, is just shopping mall stuff. You go to the church that has... Um, you know, the, the ball pit for your kids. Don't really care what they believe, just as long as, just as, long as they have, uh, you know, lattes and, 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 and ball pits or bouncy houses, right? We just look for, we look for the entertainment. We look for the services, that's that by the way is just the direct direct product of not having a real gospel okay fake gospel fake church okay. paul says there's something about the body that's spiritual and it's real. And it isn't just simply um, the one that appeals the most to my, to my felt needs. It is it's the place where I belong. It's the place where, where I'm connected. And so, so you know what we do, and uh, th- I, I'm a little off off target here, but what we end up doing is we end up removing ourselves 
from the body to which we belong. And what we're doing is, is a lot of times we're just, we're amputating body parts and we think that it's just a matter of preference. Okay. You understand what I'm saying? We treat church so lightly And we forget that what has happened is that God has made a body. And so you got, you got thumbs bouncing all over the place. They belong on a hand somewhere. But they just, they just love being their own disembodied thumb Christ says you belong to a hand you idiot thumbs aren't meant to exist as isolated entities and yet this is the way that we treat church and yet Paul says this is a body now, one other, one other observation that needs to be made is that, so let me just ask it this way. So as you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, is Paul talking about the universal body or is he talking about a local body? No. It's not, he's not talking about the universal body. He's talking about the church at Corinth which means he's talking about a local church. By the way, and again, all of this has just been, you know, percolating in me along with other things. Those other things hopefully are gone. Now this is time for this to come out. <laughs> what was I saying? Oh, yeah, low, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so we have to stop thinking in terms of invisible and visible church. That, by the way, has its roots in the magisterial reformers in terms of their pedo-baptism. Do you understand why? A visible church is made up of believers and their seed. Okay? There's a recognition that not all that are visibly in the church, so, so this, is, this is how they would see it. They would see it as, um, so, you know, you have your kids, you baptize your kids, your kids are visible members of the visible body, but they may not be invisible members. So anyway, so, so, so unthinking evangelicals pick up on this terminology of visible and invisible, and so then all of a sudden they think that, um, that, that the visible part isn't what's important, it's the invisible part that's important, and I'm just a part of the invisible church, an invisible member of the invisible church. Or, if you prefer, universal and local. 
So I want you to imagine just for a second that I weighed like 350 pounds and I had uh, fat just hanging out of, uh, uh, you know, I, I just like, okay, so you're looking at me going, oh, come on, lay off the, 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 the Twinkies, okay? So just, and, and I tell you, don't worry about it. I'm actually in very good shape. I belong to a universal gym. I don't ever get to a local gym, but I'm a member of the universal gym. Okay? So Paul uses the term ecclesia probably about 115 to 120 times. Do you realize that the overwhelming majority, I mean, with the uh, maybe four exceptions, he's always referring to a local church. The idea of the universal church is not the primary focus in the New Testament. It's local churches. So as you think about local church, that's the primary focus. So the local church is the body. Okay. Okay. So you, you, you can think of it this way. If, if, that, if that disturbs you a little bit and, and messes with your ecclesiology, I'm glad for that, and I hope that I destroy your ecclesiology by the time I'm done. Okay. But if this helps, every local church is a microcosm of the body. It in and of itself is a body, but it's a microcosm of the larger body. It's not an invisible manifestation uh, or uh, just simply a local manifestation. It's a microcosm of the whole. So as Paul talks about these principles, he's talking about them in the context of a local church. He's not talking about an invisible body or a universal body. He's talking about the body that you actually can see. Hands and feet and eyes and ears and noses. He's talking about a real body made up of real people who have real gifts and real functions and are supposed to be really connected. So he says... Even as the body is one and yet has many members. So, uh, let's see. Put up the next one, I think, Roger. Yeah, so there we go. So, this is, this is how um, my Bible at home, this is how I have it highlighted. So, for even as, notice, the body. So, notice I got the body, the body, 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 the body. Right? You see that? Okay. So, even as the body is one. Then, you see, one, 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 one. So you, you get what we're, what we're doing here, right? And, and guess what is in the middle and at the end? Spirit, all right? So for even as the body is one and yet has many, notice many is in purple, don't know if you can see that, many members. So in other words, Paul's first point is unity, you see it, body is one, does not cancel out What? Diversity, right? You see it in the first two lines. Even as the body is one, yet has many members. In other words, unity does not cancel out diversity. And all the members of the body, though they are many, unity doesn't cancel out diversity, but diversity doesn't cancel out unity. They, they, They all work, they both 
work together. Though they are many, are also one body. And so here's Paul, and he is, he is hammering away at the fact that, that here you have one body, many members, all the members of the body make up one body. There's actually sort of a cool chiastic structure to this, all right? And then he says this. So also is Christ. That's weird, right? You read that? That's interesting. I don't know what the ESV does or NIV or any of the other, but you have all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. So what does Paul mean by so also is Christ? You, you, you might have anticipated a different, different statement, right? At least if you're tracking with me. So just listen to the way this flows. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is, you think it's a, so also is the church. Something like that, right? Am I just like, do I have a parasite eating through important parts of my brain that I'm not communicating anymore? You understand what I'm saying, right? So also is Christ. That's not exactly what you'd expect. So when Paul says, so also is Christ, does probably two things. One, if you're expect, you, you, you could imagine him saying something like, so also is the ecclesia, Right? That's, that's the flow of it. And it says it so also is Christ. So the first thing that you have to assume is that what Paul's getting at is that this body of which he is speaking is no ordinary body. So also is Christ is an indication that this is no ordinary body. Now, I think that what Paul is doing is uh, is using Christ, so also is the Christ. The Christ is shorthand for the body of Christ. Okay? Does that seem reasonable? He does the same thing, by the way, at the end of the chapter, about verse 27. But here's, here's the thing that we need to remember. So if Paul uses shorthand, And he could have just used shorthand and just said, the church. Instead, he says, the Christ. The shorthand is significant for underscoring the nature of the body. How many of you would, okay, so how many of you would say, um, hey, it's Sunday morning, time to go to the Christ. Would you say that? That's what Paul's saying right here. You understand what I'm you understand? Um, uh, what, what Christ do you belong to? In other words, the Christ is shorthand for the body of Christ. But if you're going to do shorthand, you have to ask, why, why that shorthand? 
Well, because Paul wants you to see this incredibly um, intricate uh, interdependence between, interdependence is not the right word, interrelationship between Christ and his people. Where do you get Christ? Where do you see Christ? Look around. If you see his body, you're seeing him. Now, I'm not saying that the church is some sort of weird incarnation of Christ in the world. But I am saying that Paul so associates Christ with his body that he can use the Christ as shorthand for the body of Christ because that relationship is so intimate. So this isn't just the First Baptist Church of Corinth. It's the body of Christ. so also is the Christ. Where does the world see Christ? Where is the world supposed to see Christ? In the church. In those that are in union with Christ. That's where the world sees Christ. Okay, where does the church see Christ? In the body. I know you look like this is hard, but it really isn't. It really isn't. It actually is really wonderful. You, 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 you want to know why you should love the family of Christ? Because to love the family of Christ is to love Christ. Do you know what happens when you love Christ? You love the family of Christ. You can't, you can't parse it out and say, I love Jesus, I hate the church. So also is Christ. This, this, is what, this is what makes gathering together as his people so incredibly joyful. So, by the way, this, this is no exaggeration. When I was told last week, you're quarantined, and I, the first thing I said was, I can still go to church, right? He says, no, you can't go to church. I went out to my truck, I called Ariel, and I wept. I wept. And I didn't say, oh, well, it's live streamed. By the way, thankful for the live stream. All right, thankful for the live stream. But I, I, but I want to just tell you, that is not the same. I wanted to be 
with Christ's people. So, since you haven't seen me in a month, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. I know that there are people that had good and legitimate reasons why they couldn't come. But I'm at home thinking I'd give my right arm to be there. And somebody's staying home because... Okay, I know it was snowing. But you live in Nevada. Get used to it. Oh, there's snow on the ground. I can't go to church. Got to go to work tomorrow. I can't go to church. How many people went to work on Monday? Didn't go to church on Sunday? Seriously. We don't value the body of Christ. And I'm preaching to the choir because, look, you know, you guys are the ones that were here. So, Okay, so I have to move on here quickly. (laughs) For by one spirit. So what's the for there for? It's telling you why verse 12 is true. Okay? Verse 13 is telling you why verse 12 is true. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Okay, so go ahead and put the next thing up there. Uh, Okay, now, I only got like six minutes to do this. So, you know that there's there's a traditional Pentecostal teaching that says that The baptism of the Spirit is a post-conversion event that some Christians have and some Christians don't, right? You understand that? That's Assembly of God and Foursquare and and traditional Pentecostal teaching, that the baptism of the Spirit is post-conversion. Some have it, some don't. You have to understand that that that's just flat-out wrong, And if it was right, Paul would be lying then. In fact, what Paul's doing is he's saying, one spirit baptized, we were all baptized in one spirit into one body, all of us. So if if he was saying, now there's some of you don't have it, then he would be undermining his whole argument. You understand that? So, so, spirit baptism happens at conversion. Okay? We'll talk about that probably next week. But there's this big question. So, we get, uh, we get introduced to, to baptism in the spirit in the gospels. Right? I baptize with water. The one coming after me will baptize in the Holy Spirit and with fire. Okay? Right? Um, Tarry in Jerusalem and wait for the baptism in the Spirit. Right? So, So you get this. So when is that fulfilled? Well, it's fulfilled on Pentecost. All right? That's when the Spirit comes 
in new covenant blessing. But here's, here's the big question. So notice New American Standard. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, ESV and net. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. So the question is, is the spirit the agent or is the spirit the one into whom you're baptized? And the answer is the New American Standard is wrong and the ESV is right. The reason we know that is because of a technical grammatical argument that says that in a, with a passive verb, you never have a dative being used instrumentally as the agent. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, New American Standard is, is just wrong. Okay. We're baptized in the spirit, into the body. Okay. Now, in other words, who's, by the way, who is the baptizer? Jesus is the baptizer. You get this in the, in the, in the gospel accounts of baptism in spirit, right? One coming after me, who will baptize? Right? So Jesus is the baptizer. Now, the spirit is the one into whom we are immersed. So here's, here's the beauty of this. How many of us were baptized in one spirit, into one body? All. All. So if you're a Christian, you're baptized in the Spirit. This, by, this, by the way, is, is the new covenant phenomenon. Okay. So you remember Moses in Numbers chapter 11 and uh, Joshua comes running up. There's a, there's a wonderful parallel in the gospel. Joshua comes running up and he says, there's somebody prophesying outside a camp. Should I go make him stop? And Moses says, I would to God that all of God's people had the spirit and prophesied. Ooh, it's interesting, right? Under the old covenant, Moses says, I wish to God all of God's people had the spirit and prophesied. What's the promise of the age to come in Joel 2, 28 and 29. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. All flesh is all flesh within the community of faith, all right? Pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will see visions. Your young men will dream dreams. The, The new covenant blessing is that Moses' wish comes true And all of God's people have the spirit. Under the old covenant, not all of God's people had the spirit. Under the new covenant, everybody who's in the new covenant has the spirit. Jeremiah 31, everybody in the new covenant knows God. Everybody in the new covenant has law written on their heart. Ezekiel 36, everyone in the new covenant has God's spirit, has a renewed spirit, has a heart of stone taken out and a heart of flesh put in its place and God's law written on their heart. This is the blessing of the new covenant. Everybody in the new covenant has the Holy Spirit. And this, in fact, is Paul's very point. And that is that all of us have the spirit. All of us have been baptized in the spirit. And so this is an incredibly important redemptive event. Do you know how important it is that you've been baptized into the Spirit? 
It is baptism in the Spirit, which is the inauguration of the Spirit living in you. But notice, this is not just about you and you and you and you and you having the Spirit. All of us are baptized in the Spirit into what? One body. Which means that baptism in the Spirit is not just simply an individual redemptive blessing that you enjoy. It is a corporate redemptive blessing that you enjoy as you are brought into connection with the body. Baptism in the Spirit is not just simply the inauguration of the Spirit living in me. That's true. That's glorious. But it is also the, um, me, by, the, uh, by an act of Christ, being put into the body. So, so that to belong to Christ is to belong to his people. To have the Spirit is to be in the body. You understand that just as sure as it is impossible for a person to be a Christian and not have the Spirit, it is impossible for a person to have the Spirit and not be in the body. You realize when God saved you, he didn't save you just so that you could go to heaven when you die? He saved you to make you a part of his people. So there you should be with with Ruth looking right there at Naomi. Your God is my God. Your people are my people. Where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. That's what happens when you get saved. You look at Jesus and you say, your people are my people. The good the bad and the ugly. They're all my people. You don't get the choice of which one you, you want to be with. God says, okay, try this on for size. You're going to spend all eternity with that one. Some of you are hoping, oh, I hope there's like neighborhoods in heaven. Baptism in the Spirit is a corporate redemptive event. So, I mean, this is, this is, this is what, what we have to see is that, is that just as, as it would be an oxymoron to say I'm a Christian without the Spirit, so it's an oxymoron to say I'm a, I, I have the Spirit, but I'm not in the body. It's an anomaly. Shouldn't happen. Okay. Well, we'll have to pick up some of this next week. We'll talk about what it is to drink the Spirit. Notice Jews are Greek, slaves are free. All right, we'll talk more about that. But this, in other words, this is true unity. Race doesn't matter. This is, this is powerful. So here's, here's what happens. We contradict the work of Christ as the spirit baptizer 
We contradict the work of the Spirit under the new covenant, baptized into the Spirit, into the body, drinking at the same fountain. We contradict the nature of the body, which is one, when we're divided. You feel the weight of that? When we're divided, it is a contradiction to Christ as spirit baptizer. It's contradiction to the spirit puts me into the body. It's a contradiction to the very nature of the body itself. Division is usually, say usually, because of pride. Sometimes there are good reasons to divide. Okay. October 31st, 1517 was a good reason to divide. 1529 was not a good reason to divide. What happened in 1529? Colloquy at Marburg. Where Luther looked right at Zwingli in the eye and said, you have a different spirit and you don't belong to Christ. Okay. Luther wasn't right about everything. And in fact, he divided from a lot of brethren who were true brethren. Okay. Division usually happens because of pride. People divide over race. <clears throat> to divide over race is not only unbiblical, it's sinful. Okay. People divide over social status. People who divide over social status are sinful and unbiblical. Sometimes people divide because they get sinned against. What, a, what an amazing thing, right? That I might get sinned against when I hang around sinners. Perish the thought that I would be sinned against in the church, which is the only hope and refuge for sinners. So let me just say this in as, in as kind terms as possible. If you leave a church because you're sinned against, you're an idiot. Okay? My feelings got hurt. That person said something really mean and they never apologized. <clears throat> You're right. The apocalypse has come. What you want to just say to people is your, your division over pettiness is a, is a blight to the body of Christ. 
And your pettiness is, uh, is an affront to the body which is one. If I get offended, first of all, just don't be surprised. You know, that's, that's half the battle right there. Just walk into church saying, I know somebody's going to tick me off today. I know somebody's going to, I know somebody's going to act like they don't like me. Just accept it. And then rejoice that you have a gospel that covers a multitude of sins. And get on with life and get on with loving God's people and doing what you're supposed to do. If the spirit is the one that puts us in the body and that body is one, how dare we go against that unity because of my wounded pride. It's a shame on us. Shame on us for being petty, nitpicking, sensitive, thin-skinned, What's the term today? Snowflakes. If you're a Christian, toughen up. You've got grace. By the way, if you're always so worried about, oh, somebody's going to say something mean to me, somebody's going to hurt my feelings, just think, you're, you're a sinner too. You ever said something stupid to somebody? You ever said something sinful to somebody? Some of us are so dull that we do it all the time and don't even know it. And we're going to turn around and get upset? May God help us to crucify pride and love the unity of the body and stop being a bunch of babies well, aren't you glad I'm back home? (laughs) Yeah, me too. All right. Well, we'll continue this next week, but I'm sure in a much nicer, less offensive tone. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the body of Christ and thank you, Lord, for the love that you've given us for each other. And we pray that you'd help us to love each other well and to love you more. We pray that you'd help us, help us to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Help us to cherish the diversity. Help us to cherish even more the unity. Father, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that you were edified by this message. For additional sermons as well as information on giving to the ministry of Grace Community Church, please visit us online at gracenevada.com. That's gracenevada.com.